in this edition of Hootsology. Justin and Matt welcome contributor for Nick's Film School and the Strickland, Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy gives his take regarding what the future holds for the Knicks this season, the addition of Jalen Brunson, can Julius Randle rebound from a lackluster previous season, RJ Barrett, and a lot more. Please email your question to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We're available on Twitter through at hoopsologypod, on Instagram at hoopsologypod. Justin's Twitter is at Justin16, and Matt Thomas's Twitter is at The Trainer's Take. And now, Jeremy Cohen. He is a contributor for Nick's Film School and Strickland. We welcome Jeremy Cohen onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Jeremy? going great how about you both thanks so much for being here yeah thanks for joining us and i kind of a little bit of a uh, confession we, we've covered the knicks a lot i think at least for myself can't speak for matt um even though i am a bulls fan uh knicks i just feel like i've kind of been tied to them just through like bulls history so i just have i don't know i can't explain it it's just like i have a special interest within the knicks always no matter how they're doing so i kind of want to pick your brain jeremy in terms of heading into this season um the knicks finished 37 45 11th in the nba eastern conference and I just want to get your perspective headed into this season and just seeing a little bit of Jalen Brunson, Summer League, any other observations you might have seen just through the offseason. What is your outlook of the next um, just heading into the season in a couple of weeks? Is it do you have are you more optimistic, less optimistic? Like where do you see kind of this this team falling in this kind of unpredictable Eastern Conference? So I I'm not not excited for the season, but there was something about how this offseason unfolded where I thought the Knicks made a legitimate upgrade. I have been a huge fan of Brunson. I've been wanting the Knicks to sign him for, I, I think, going back to like January of 2021. Like, I, I really love his game. And I obviously the connection with him and Leon Rose was there, but just something about finding a point guard who can actually orchestrate and run an offense would be beautiful. And he took those next steps in the playoffs and he's been fantastic. But there was something about the almost could haves that didn't work. Like, it was so frustrating to say, okay, um, they're trading up for Ivy. Oh, well, it's actually not happening. And it didn't. And then, oh, there's Donovan Mitchell. And oh, well, that's actually not happening. And then it didn't. And it's just, it makes you feel empty because this is what I believe to be a better team than last year. I think last year's team, if you look at how many games the Knicks lost because of, in my opinion, coaching, there's just some poor rotations and end of games were not managed well. And the Knicks themselves did not have consistent point guard play. And I just look at it. It's like, all right, well, every team kind of takes a step back. But the way I see it is that the Knicks did take a step forward. The only problem is a lot of other teams in the East took steps forward as well. So I'm a little bit more, even though I'm not excited about this squad, I think there is enough optimism where I can get there. It's just Knicks fans, because we are so desperate, for a star i don't mean that in the way it's like you have to get him a start in the building no matter what you want to be a little bit more calculated than that but i think the general feeling is that this is a, a team that has the potential to be fun maybe make some quiet noise so to speak in the play-in first round but it, without that high ceiling it's like kind of is this a purgatory type situation what is the angle to take that next step and so i want to focus on the season but it's hard to do that and also not consider what the long-term looks like. You mentioned your excitement for Jalen Brunson. What have you seen of him so far on the court and off the court in terms of dealing with the Knicks fan base? I mean, it's pretty obvious the Knicks have 
you know, probably one of the most hardcore fan bases in all of sports. So how, how has he acclimated towards that? How do you think he'll perform when eventually, you know, there's going to be some games where he doesn't play well and there's going to be tons of criticism. How do you think he'll handle that? He seems to have a great handle on it. You know, every interview that I've followed of his, he just says the right thing every single time. And yeah, I think what I was so excited about was he's so good in the pick and roll. And the Knicks have run a lot of pick and roll when you have someone like Mitchell Robinson, who is an incredible rim running threat, and you're able to then space the floor around him, then it works out beautifully. The question, of course, is are the Knicks able to effectively space out? Um, Randall, of course, was a, a very large question mark. And I'm a little bit encouraged by how his role is. I'd like to think that the reason he was so present in the office, so much of a focal point last year is because he felt he had to take on the responsibility, not because he wanted to. And he's able to slide back into a role where he's able to just do less than I think he does more in that sense. But yeah, really getting the spacing around him because the Knicks don't have the best floor spacing, but they've got guys who can do a lot of good things. So I'd say that's probably the, the number one thing, but he just, yeah, he speaks Tibbs. He says what the, Tibbs is very rough around the edges. And I think Brunson can translate that really well. And in layman's terms, it then becomes like, all right, yeah, that's that he gets it. He, it's Tibbs on the court, but it's not Tibbs because he's a little less gruff. So I like it. Jeremy, I think uh, kind of one of the, I don't know, maybe cliche narratives around Brunson, when New York acquired him was, well, you're going to see a drop off because he was playing next to Luka Doncic in Dallas. Um, how do you see his potential this year? I mean, do you, do you see, I mean, I, of course he's going to get a higher usage rate. Um, do you think what you're seeing so far in preseason, he's going to like rise above expectations or where, where do you kind of see him fitting? I mean, you described some of that just now, but kind of elaborate on that. What do you see his potential as a point guard overall? One of the things that really encouraged me in terms of wanting to sign Brunson was that the net rating that he had with um, with Luca on the court versus off the court, it was actually better when Luca was off the court. And it's not like those minutes were a huge discrepancy. There was a, a legitimate uh, sample size for both. And so that was great to consider where moving forward, if you're not going to be playing with one of the best players in the NBA, how are you going to do? And, you know, it's just preseason. I couch a lot of, the things that I see until like maybe the 10 game mark, just because it's less individual data points. You could start to put something together, but yeah, it's, it's just, honestly, the, the bar is also so low in terms of a Knicks point guard that just having Brunson there, it feels like a home run, even if he's just a very good player, just having someone who can penetrate and finish at an elite level that's just not something I can recall. I mean, they probably Marbury. That's probably the last person who is wow. anywhere close yeah. to that in, in a consistent basis. And it's, it's so it's, it's going to be a joy to actually watch someone who knows how to run an offense. But yeah, it's again, it's just it's great to have someone who you can feel is confident enough to do that. And I just I don't remember because Marbury was so long ago. I don't remember a lot of when that has been able to happen. Yeah, another narrative from last season, of course, you know, Julius Randle kind of taking a step back. I mean, he had an awesome season the season before that. Um, do you see Brunson being able to elevate his game like in the pick and roll as partners there? Um, or who do you see him having the biggest impact as far as the rest of uh, the offensive side of the ball for the Knicks? 
Yeah, I, I'm inclined to say Randall because Randall was such a detriment that if you can find a way to limit what caused Randall to do so poorly last year, then that in itself is a major positive. And so, like, you know, if 20% of the players on the court at one point are stinking up the joint and then they're not doing that, then that alleviates so much. But I just think with RJ, you know, the ability for RJ to really take that next step, his usage rate is probably going to go up as well as I would imagine Randall's ticks down. RJ signed a contract. I am a big fan of the contract. I wouldn't necessarily have loved to see RJ get a max deal because he's not a max player, but like with the whole Tyler hero situation, the salary cap's going to go up. It's not going to be this albatross, but for a couple of years, it just might not look great. But if you're Miami, do you really care about it? But I digress. It's if RJ is able to then come into his own, it really helps solidify where in my, again, to go to kind of the, um, the ceiling of the team, he does so much where in my mind, don't bank on him being an elite first option because it's really hard to find that. And you hope that he is a fantastic second option. But again, if you bank on him just being like a really solid third scoring option who can do stuff on both sides of the ball, then any pops more than that, then you're in a good situation. But so I guess lower expectations and uh, under promise over deliver, so to speak. But I, I think RJ is the one who's really going to benefit from Brunson. I want to add to Matt's point about Julius Randle because he was such a focal point. Like Matt said, two seasons ago, you really saw just the attention on him. He just seemed to play with such enthusiasm. And last season, we saw what happened. What are the fans' attitude towards him? Is it kind of like a do-or-die situation? Like, is he feeling more pressure compared to maybe his peers, maybe on other teams? Like, do you get a sense of, like, how his attitude is heading into the season at all? I think the Knicks fans are at the point where it's, all right, he's here, so let's just hope for the best. And I think it is for the best. It took me a while to say I really don't want to – not don't want to move Randall, but not to attach a first-round pick. And then I finally broke in September after Donovan Mitchell trade ensued. I was like, all right, well, if you can use the the 2025 protected bucks first, that's fine. I would be cautious about other stuff, but – the Knicks have their front office has kind of just shown we're comfortable waiting this out because we know that we're not going to do any, we're not going to make any major noise. So we might as well just not shoot ourselves in the foot down the line. But yeah, it's, I'd like to think that he is more accepting of the role. He knows that last year didn't work. He knows that Knicks fans are not in his corner. And, you know, I think New Yorkers forgive, but don't forget. And all he has to do, there are two things. Number one, just, come out and play well. That's the easiest one. Number two, just embrace the villain role where it's like, all right, a lot of teams have those guys where you don't love them, but there's something about them where they've got that, that thing that just kind of attracts you to them. I, I don't know, but I don't think he'll go in that direction. He's, he's very professional and he says all the right things. So as less is more for him. That's really all it is. And making his shots. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what have you seen lately from Obi Toppin? I mean, he had that <laughs> incredible in-game dunk uh, against the Pacers, I believe it was, right? Um, what are you seeing from his potential role on this team and, and his growth as well? I mean, I, I saw you guys maybe talking a little about, a bit about some six-man buzz. Um, how do you see his growth this season? It all depends on Julius. 
that you know mm. the way I kind of view it is because Tibbs wants 48 minutes of rim protection. So if he doesn't trust Obi to be a five and play small, and he doesn't really, and if he doesn't trust Randall to be a five, and he he does because of the fact that it's more about screening than anything, but having them together and Tibbs made what I think was actually a very good point where the net rating of Obi and Julius together is very good, but the games that were garbage time take up a lot of that positive net rating. Ah. So when you parse it out a little bit more, there's a challenge, but I think the problem for Knicks fans is, you know, Obi looks great. How do you find a way to get him on the court if you're not reducing Julius's minutes? And I do think ultimately Julius might, go back down to you know 32 31 minutes a game probably closer Mm -hmm. to 33 but the way i see it is it's like is it going to be 48 minutes minus julius randall's minutes equals obi toppin's minutes and if that's the case you just can't do it i mean he's the eighth pick overall and he's entering his third year and my i think the knicks would move julius if they found the right deal but at the same time if julius is playing well i wonder how much they consider moving him. And if Julius isn't playing well, I wonder how much they would really care to add in order to move him. So none of this is going to happen before the deadline likely anyway, but I just, I want Obi to have a role. I just don't know what it is based on how the team is structured and mainly how Tibbs coaches rotation. Yeah. And that was uh, definitely going to be my next question is, you know, with Julius being on a little bit of a different timeline than the rest of the talent on this roster. I mean, is, could it be something where if he really shows um, high performance through a couple weeks, they look to just cash out on that and, and get <laughs> whatever they can, you know, whether it's draft assets or um, a role player, you know, is, do you think there's enough, I guess, incentive to play the young guys together, which is also dangerous to move away from veterans, you know, that that they would cash out on a move like that. I do think the Knicks would want to move Julius, but the struggle is so with Mitchell Robinson, I mean, he's incredibly low usage. He's just essentially a play finisher. Mm. It's interesting that he's doing more post up and I'll believe he shoots a three or at least a perimeter shot when I see it. But that's apparently what he's been working on. Mm. If you move Randall and to me, it's like, well, what are you moving Randall for? Because you you're probably not going to get expiring salary. I mean, you could try for it, but if it's expiring salary, is it bad expiring salary? Because if you get you're not going to get a point guard to play ahead of Brunson. Um, The Knicks want to put Grimes in a position to succeed, but Fournier is on the team. No one's going to be playing ahead of RJ. The goal would be to move OB up. So if you're trading Randall and then, you know, what are you doing at the five? Are you keeping Mitch? I think if you pair Obi and if you pair Mitch, there's not enough creation. There's not enough high usage that can be there. There, It's it's almost like you have to move Mitch and Randall in order to insert Obi into the starting lineup. But then there's the question of who's at the five. Are you promoting Hartenstein? Are you looking for another player? I mean, obviously DeAndre Ayton, the situation in Phoenix is crazy so like is that something that you're thinking of doing that type of move I, I really don't know but that's why to me it's so fascinating to see how Obi fits in because there are things he can do that I think are really beneficial but he has to be paired with the right players in the front court around him and as things stand I don't think that's Mitchell Robinson 
I want to shift the gears and focus on the Eastern Conference. It's been a roller coaster ride, just to say the least, in terms of kind of getting the beat on like who are the clear favorites. What is your opinion on this? Are are you kind of seeing the, the usual suspects, um, Boston, um, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, or are you see maybe seeing a sleeper team in there that might surprise a lot of fans out there? Yeah, I, you know, I it's not even just being a Knicks fan. I just I. I have trouble trusting the Nets. I just, I just do. Um, I think on paper, they are a phenomenal team. And you see Kevin Durant feed Ben Simmons twice in the post to try to get him to score. And each time he passes out. And I just, I I think that they are so good, but their limitations are, are glaring. And, um, you know, in terms of the teams that are are going to rise, I'm still, I'm still incredibly high on the box as long as Giannis Antetokounmpo is healthy. Um, we could play the, you know, right. they would have won game if Middleton was there, but you could also say that about their championship run where if they had you know, faced Kyrie Irving for the whole time or James Harden. It's true. So, uh, you know, I'd say it's it's definitely the usual suspects. I'm very curious about how the Celtics season is going to play out because it's the vibes just seem very rough, but that also is something that could empower them. They could use that to bond and, and rise above. So, you know, I every year there is a team that, was good and then just takes this large step back and you know like i i still wonder i think the like the Cavs. i think that they have very good long-term prognosis i think i, I totally get why they would make the donovan mitchell trade they 100 got better i do wonder if because they're a younger team are are they going to face a little bit of adversity and then shift back i don't really know I, you know I, I it's not so much doubting them but i just think that there's kind of this mindset that a lot of fans may have which is, oh, a team got good, so they're definitely going to be good. They're going to get better. And I just don't know. There has to be a team that drops every year. Um, just does. So, I, you know, maybe the Hawks. I, do, I liked the Murray trade, but um, at the same time, I just I just don't know. It's got to fully click. The, the benefit is they play in a pretty lackluster division, though. So, um, yeah, you know, anyone's guess. But at the... I guess I'll. I don't want to go with the Hawks. I'll. I'll stick with the Nets. Let's. Let's just drive it home with the Nets. Do you see it being a case where we maybe see four or five years of a new Eastern Conference team in the finals? And we, you know, I think a lot of fans like dynasties. They like consistency. Do you think we'll see like a rotating cast of like a top team in the East? I just can't get a beat on like if there's going to be an organization to really just grab the East for a certain amount of years. I just feel like this could be rotating cast of characters just for a little bit here. Do you think that's the case or do you think you'll see Milwaukee or you'll see maybe Brooklyn figure it out and just kind of take a hold of this, this conference? No, I agree. There's a tremendous amount of parody, which I think as a basketball fan is a lot of fun. Agreed. I'm very curious if there's going to be a team in the East that does like the all in move and puts it over the top. I mean, like we, we saw the Cavs and the Hawks, those kind of were their all in moves they, they have room in a couple of years for one more, but you know, you then have to consider the value of their picks because they're getting this talent in the door. It's not a lot. I mean, when that, I think that's another reason with the Knicks, why fans are confident in some capacity is that, yeah, they haven't done anything, but also they have so many picks at their disposal that they can find a way to, make a move and then make that second move and not feel like they're being outbid by another team. But I look at a team like the Celtics where they have the ammo to just upgrade. 
they have the picks. They, you know, the Jalen Brown situation, if they feel any sort of concern, they could just find a way to move him and picks for a far better player. And it, it just works out fine for them. But they're kind of the sleeper team in terms of that one last move that really could put them over the top. Other than that, yeah, I, I agree. I think just the parody itself, it's going to be a revolving door for teams. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think um, I know a lot of folks are talking about this, but I'd be curious to pick your brain, seeing as how they're in the Atlantic division as well. Of course, the uh, 76ers, really interesting. What are you seeing from them so far? Do you trust them as as like that, like I guess kind of what tier are they in the Eastern Conference? Do you see them as legit title contenders? I don't. Yeah, I think I they're a really good team, but for, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it's just because it's Doc Rivers. It reminds me in a lot of ways of the Clippers of before. They're yeah. just like knocking on the door on paper. They There's so much that they do well, but just something about it doesn't click. And, you know, it's Harden's a great player. I do wonder about his durability as he continues getting older. And you're kind of, you're stuck because you can't let him go anywhere else. And also, why would you? Because you made the trade for him. And I, I think Embiid is incredible, and he's one of the best players in the league. Um, could very easily win MVP this year. But for me, there's something – I'm a big fan of, of like, you know, getting the best wing possible. And teams don't obviously have that luxury, but I think that sometimes with elite centers, it's harder to – it's harder to get contending teams from those guys who are high usage. Like, I, one of the things that the Knicks do that I do actually agree with is the mindset of like, we don't need a center who commands the ball a lot and also commands a lot of money. With that said, if the Knicks had Joel Embiid, I'd say, well, you build around the talent you have in the building. But I think there's something to be said of how much usage he has. And I almost hope he's used a little bit less. And, you know, like he shouldn't necessarily be spacing the floor. I have him play to mm-hmm. his strengths closer to the basket. And again, if Doc Rivers is still there, I just, it's harder for me to trust them. But I think Tyrese Maxey's up for a really nice season definitely a most improved player candidate. And um, it it wouldn't shock me if they took the next step. I just, they're kind of lower on my depth chart of teams that really gets that far. So looking back at the Knicks and considering all those, those teams that we just discussed, I mean, it's as deep as I can remember the league ever being. And Justin and I say this every year in terms of the talent of the league as a whole, but I, I see the Knicks at 38 and a half games for their over under Mark um, 37 wins last year does sound like, you know, with Jalen Brunson, they they have improved uh, pretty significantly on that roster, but given you know the chaos and volatility, I mean, do you would you bet the over on that, the under on that? How do you feel about that thirty eight point five number? I feel better about it, and I think just the reason being that when you look at those thirty seven wins, I, this team played so poorly mm-hmm. when it really mattered last year that it almost, if you followed it closely as I did it didn't feel like it was quite that bad. And yet coming off of a really fun season before then and Julius Randle doing so well and then not doing well, everything kind of just collapsed. And I just don't think we're going to see that. I don't think we're going to see any, anything similar to the Kemba Walker situation. I'm sure something will pop up. You know, there'll be an injury. There will be some sort of drama. Every team deals with both in some capacity, but 
just as the younger players get older, as they're more seasoned, it's a young team that's going to try to hopefully push the pace. I mean, gosh, they've been talking about pushing the pace for two, three years now, and it hasn't seemed to actually come to fruition. But there's just something about, again, going back to Brunson, who can run an offense that is so important because a Tibbs-led team is going to have a top 10 defense. And if they're really good, they'll finish top five. It's always the offensive rating part. I want to say the Knicks finished 22nd or so last year. If they can get to 16th, 17th, I think that that will make a huge difference. And as competitive as the Eastern Conference is, I think there are enough games that are there for the taking where they can eclipse the 38 and a half over under. Jeremy, are there any other observations that you're looking at coming into this season, <clears throat> maybe in the Western Conference or any of the rookies or anything else that um, might be flying under the radar, but it really has your interest? I would say a big thing is how many teams are going to wave the white flag for Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes <laughs> and then how that impacts the rest of the NBA. Because if you're yeah. a team like the Knicks that wants to win and they do want to win, are you, you know, Charlotte doesn't tank really unless they have to and mm -hmm. with lamella ball it's harder to do i mean yeah. they, they could do it because they really didn't make any upgrades this year and if you're not making an upgrade then you're effectively getting worse and you know but is there a point in which they start shutting players down because they want to increase their odds by x percent uh, the wizards you know they they are to me in a similar boat as the knicks obviously they have more star power at bradley beal but i and a little biased, but I would say that I'm higher on the Knicks young talent than I am on the Wizards. Sure. Is there a point at which they say, you know, like Bill got hurt last year. Does he get hurt again? And they say, let's just let's just see where the cards fall. And I think that it just there are enough teams that are going to try to win where the top 10 or 11 are going to be competitive again. But um, yeah, I just it's going to be disgusting, shameless tanking, <laughs> awful um, and. I just, you know, I just hope the that he doesn't wind up in the Eastern Conference eventually. Let him go to the West. Let that be the more stacked <laughs> conference as usual. Um, but anything but the East, please. Go ahead, Matt. If you... Yeah, it's it's interesting looking at those teams that are the potential tankers. I mean, I think if you see the Pacers make a move, uh, you know, like moving Miles Turner, as as they've talked about um, for for years now at this point. I mean, I think there are certain things that could signal that. But some of those, um, you know, I, I don't mean to be cruel here, but traditional bottom feeders from the East really are trying. Like Charlotte seems to always try, like you said. I think the Magic as well, with the young talent on their team, I think they're going to try and push for that. So yeah, it really comes down to the wizards. Um, my rockets who I think are also kind of going to try, but <laughs> uh, they're so young and they moved Christian wood. So it really seems like rockets, pacers, wizards, Kings uh, potentially because always seems to go South for them. Unfortunately, sorry, Kings fans, but um are there any other teams out of that uh, beyond that list that you could see as the like shameless tankers? <laughs> I think that said it. You know, I, it's awful. It seems like Jalen Suggs avoided a major injury, which is great, but I wouldn't be surprised if the magic at the same time, like, well, we want to develop him, but there are worse situations that occur here, but no, it, it, I think it's the usual suspects. It's just a question of then like, I'm surprised that the Pacers haven't moved healed and, 
Turner for less so that they could really just go all out. And I know that uh, Herb Simon Agreed. is approaching 90 and he doesn't necessarily want to deal with the tanking team, but that's the reality. I, you know, I think they finally got a single digit pick since I want to say 1989. And I, I would lean into it. If you're a small market team where you're not going to, mm -hmm. I think they ranked last in attendance last year. You just, just lean into it. And um, so I, I'm, very surprised they haven't moved him yet, both of them, but we'll yeah. see. Uh, let you go on this, Jeremy. You mentioned tanking, and if, in fact, if, if your prediction comes true, what kind of actions do you think the league will take? Because they have been proactive in preventing tanking, making sure that when, you know, we're in March, early April, that every game matters, that it's watchable basketball. But if you're just seeing teams just being like, hey, we're see you later, we're bouncing, we're just <laughs> we're gonna try to get this number one pick. I mean, do you see any additional action that Adam Silver's gonna take if that comes to fruition? Honestly, no. Because I, I don't I don't know what they can necessarily do further. You know, I mean there's the idea of you do a rotating thing every single year, but you know, is that the sort of thing where like, how does that impact with your draft picks? Because so much of that in terms of trading, it's like, well, I don't want to trade for the 28th pick overall. If I know the next year you're getting the 17th pick, I want the 17th pick and how that works. It, I go back and forth on tanking. I don't blame teams for doing it. At the same time, I really don't love the product of it. But these teams are just playing by the rules that the NBA has laid out. And I don't know how they can go back and necessarily change it. I do like the idea of how, you know, the play-in tournament with the extra rounds, I think that's, that's great in theory, but you get to a certain point where we're talking about second-round picks can't even really be rostered. First-round picks aren't even really being seen. So are you building a minor league system akin to baseball where that works? I, I don't know. But if you can find a way to incentivize winning games instead of losing games, like, what if a team, what if the teams that, like, the play-in, for example, right? I've always thought if you get teams that don't win in the play-in, yeah, they, they're they kind of locked into not making the playoffs if they lose and not having a great pick. But then if you created a system where you benefited those teams, are they throwing the play-in game because they know that they can get a good pick? I, I really don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a real challenge. I, I personally think just, the draft should probably be abolished, make it similar to more baseball, but I don't think the NBA would ever do that. And uh, the prospects themselves can't really speak up for themselves because they're not in the NBPA. And um, the NBA doesn't really care enough to, to speak for them. So, yeah, I wish there would be something that they could do. I just, I don't know what next steps they could do to kind of mitigate it even further than they already have. Jeremy, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media and anything else you're working on for the rest of the year as well. Absolutely. Matt, Justin, thank you guys so much. Um, yeah, You can find me on Twitter um, at The Coincidence. That's T-H-E-C-O-H-E-N-C-I-D-E-N-C-E. -E -E -E. And, you know, we're primarily at Nick's Film School when I do more longer form with Strickland. And for Nick's Film School, it's... It's going to be post-game podcasts with Jonathan Macri. He's a machine. He's got a fantastic newsletter as well that he he churns out. How he has a family and still does this, I can't comprehend, but he does. And so, you know, every do a pod every week and we do live streams and it's, it's all fun and good. So, yeah, follow us there if you want more information about the Knicks. We have a good time. Awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. Really appreciate it.